look, way before Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored or Hollywood Unlocked with Jason Lee Uncensored and way before Hollywood Unlocked, I had a show. Uh, it was called The Visions Project. And it was sort of like this. Um, I just got a group of the most popular teenagers in my community. And we came together to talk about topics that were important. And everybody locally thought it was a hit. But really, I was stealing from our guest today because she was the host of Teen Summit. And it's somebody that I've admired for a very long time and have been her friend on Facebook. I've never met her, but Ananda Lewis, which is so crazy that we've never met somebody that I've admired for so long whose work, um, what you know, we hadn't seen any, I hadn't seen anything like Teen Summit when you were doing your thing. And, um, you know, I tried to I tried to copy you on a local basis and that it was a hit. And I, and I didn't tell people I was copying you, but of course, you we know, all everybody did. figured it out. Come on. Welcome. I'm so flattered by that. Thank you. It's so nice to meet your face, Jason. I've actually admired your work for a long time, too. I love how you speak your mind, and I love how you maneuver through all these different circles and, and are able to kind of maintain who you are. I know firsthand how difficult that is to do. So it's really nice to see you here, and thank you for that. Team Summit was you one know, of my favorite jobs. <laughs> you know it ain't easy, because once you have an opinion that pisses somebody off, all of a sudden you get the scarlet letter. I'm like, damn, what I do? I just told you what I thought. <laughs> and I always tell you what I think, so now it's no different. People think they're immune once you're friends, but you still have an opinion. Exactly. Now, I of course, got myself live on MTV one time with Q-Tip. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what have I hey, done? Wait, what did you do? I... I, I, it's one of those things I regret to this day, even though I absolutely support my, my own opinion and everybody else's. I, I said something about the video he was premiering. It was his first, you know, solo project away from Tripod Quest. And um, I think it was Vibrant Thing. And, uh, you know, I had a problem with the naked girls. And I mean, I wouldn't survive the world now if I had to <laughs> review the video. But then it was new. It was I expected it from like NWA, but I didn't expect it from Q-Tip. And I said to him live on the air some things that I kind of wish I could take back. We were friends and I I, um, I should have handled it with a little more sensitivity. And, you know, doing live is difficult. You say what you say and it's out and it's done and you can't pull it back. And so you kind of have to live with it. But isn't that, isn't, but isn't, aren't those the moments though that help shape like the greatness of what we do as journalists, right? Where like you're asking a, a question in the moment that you're, sh that I'm sure a lot of other people are thinking, yeah. uh, and it and, and people don't realize it's it's equally as uncomfortable for you to ask the question as it is for them to get asked the question. Right. I remember sweating. I was hot, <laughs> but people in the audience were like, "Yeah, what's up with that?" So you're right. People were thinking the same thing, and I was the one that had to voice it. It's you know, it's a balance. There's a fine line between doing good journalism and saying and asking what needs to be said and asked and compromising your friendships as a result of it. And I've never struck that balance very well. I have, um, mm. you know, I have an opinion and, and I run my mouth and I was doing live TV every single day for a lot of years. And so a lot of stuff got said, but that's the one thing that kind of stands out to me as something I wish I could be like, I take that all back. I just want to say, you know, before we jump into everything on behalf of me, Blue Damage, you know, you definitely have been one of those trailblazers that opened up doors for people like us to be able to come and do. I mean, I'm, we're doing a little bit more reckless than you were doing it, but, still, you know, but we appreciate that. And I'm so glad that you're here. It's, it, this is a, a long time due. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That story already highlights why thank God social media wasn't big back then, because you get to have it as a personal story of something that you were personally mortified and you moved past it. But if it was 2020, it would be on a loop and they would have a song with Elmo on the planet dancing to you, asking him that question. And so thank God I missed those days of Teen Summon and no social media. Right. Hollywood unlocked every day, Blue. You're absolutely right. Exactly. <laughs> I miss those days so much, Ananda. So much. I do too. It's way, it's so different now. And I mean, just as, you know, sometimes I feel like a real dinosaur out here, not being able to keep up with the TikToks and the Snapchats and the thing. I'm like, listen, that's not my world. I'm going to give you a video and I'm going to go. <laughs> and I'm not going to do five different videos on the same thing. I'm just going to go. <laughs> But talking about social media, you know, recently uh, I have another show called Gagging with Jason Lee where it's really, really reckless. You seen it? I have. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, reckless. But we talked, we talked last, we talked on the last show about the city girls in like old tweets that have come up from 10 years ago. Kevin Hart's been a victim of that. I've been a victim of that. Uh, other people have been a victim of that. Should what we did 10 years ago on social media, when social media was new and we just discovered this way of talking to the world, should that matter these days? Uh, I will. Personally, it doesn't matter. I, I know for myself how much growth and evolution I've gone through over the last 10, 20 years. And I, I'm so grateful no one has stuff to hold over my head, you know, on video or in some format that can be repeated over and over again, because we're not the same people we were 10 years ago. We're not supposed to be. Our experiences are supposed to change and evolve us. Life does that to us. Um, our circle of people that we're around do that to us. And we really should have the, the natural and normal freedom that exists to evolve and to grow and to learn from our mistakes and to learn from how we've hurt people. Um, and, and be better people and have that be what represents us. Unfortunately, that's not how our society chooses uh, to, uh, you know, to, to, to treat it. We seem to like to torture people for things that they said 10 years ago. It's like, we want it. We can't wait to throw something in somebody's face, you know? And I think that's indicative of a collective sense of uh, an inability to forgive. I think people can't really forgive themselves. And then that grows and extends itself to the idea that I'm not going to forgive them either. But I think if, if we start getting better at doing some personal forgiveness, it becomes easier to allow people to have humanity. Like humanity involves mistakes and saying dumb stuff and, you know, needing to apologize and take it back or not apologize and be like, I stand by that or whatever it is for you. But we have to widen that up. But I, I think we become so ultra sensitive and unable to hear somebody's opinion just because we don't like it doesn't mean it shouldn't be said. And so I think exactly. that's true in most things. Sometimes, yeah, maybe 10 years ago, you said something offensive to a group of people. You know, maybe you said something racist or you said something homophobic or sexist. We all have evolved to understand those things better, right? I think even in those big categories, people can improve. And as long as people are showing improvement, I think we should show forgiveness and let them have themselves as a better uh, version of who they are. I hope we get there. I agree. I hope so too, because if they go back any further, I'm really going to get canceled. Now, look, this is, why, <laughs> this is why I've said, this is why I said that I cannot fucking stand cancel culture because I feel like cancel culture really was designed for us. Like white people ain't really getting canceled. Me too was a little, me too was a little bit, but cancel culture really is like this thing that goes up online that really lives and breathes when it, when it has something to do with us. At least that's what I feel. Do you, 
What do you think about cancel culture? Uh, for the same reasons I just said, I think it's unfortunate. I think that we, of all people, because I feel like we have gotten to the party a little late in some respects, and it's not our fault. We were held back for 400 years of being able to evolve as people like everybody else had the opportunity to do. We see it true in our finances. We see it true in our family structure. I mean, that was completely destroyed, both of those categories, right? My grandmother was a survivor of the Tulsa race riots. I know my family's wealth was destroyed by government bombs. And so oh, when wow. you are held down with that by the very people who are supposed to be the people that hold you up, there's no... Uh, there's no blueprint for that. It hasn't happened to anybody else, right? So we are the guinea pigs of how you grow from that into the people that you see yourself being and know that you can become, right? And I think that we of all people need to be a little more gentle with ourselves. We have suffered um, immeasurable loss and immeasurable damage at the hands of our government at the hands of our society. You know, we can call ourselves African-Americans and I have been to Africa, but I was born here. I am an American. And that's not to diminish the African roots that I have in my body that I'm super grateful for because they give me so much ability, like superpowers, right? But I also want to not um, undervalue what my people have done in this country. I am more American than almost anybody I know, having some Native American and a whole lot of African in my blood. So... I don't want that diminished. I don't want to be put in a position where I have to be against the country that I come from in order to improve the country that I come from. This is our country too. And mm. we have a right to all the rights and privileges given to, to newly uh, incoming immigrants. And we were forced immigrants. I think we should have more rights and privileges. I believe in reparations. I think we should get there. But for ourselves, and to answer your question, the cancel culture is is us being against us. And that doesn't make any sense. We got enough things against us. We don't need to pile onto that. Ananda, why the hell you ain't running for office? Damn it, I would vote for you right now. Because we got Kamala. <laughs> we don't need you yet. <laughs> Uh, can, can we give him, can we give you your flowers real quick? Like I'm trying so hard to like keep it in and to seem like really professional right now, but I have a confession to make. Um, growing up, I would watch Teen Summit religiously. And by the time I got to college, I actually skipped class to be in the audience of your talk show. Really? And I remember, yes, I skipped class. I skipped the communications class, what? ironically, to be, to come to your talk show. And I remember they were like, she's going to be the next Oprah. And I remember like watching you and like practicing, like how to talk like you for my class. So this is kind of like 19 year old me is kind of geeking out right now, but I'm trying to keep it together. So I want to thank you for being the first black woman that I ever saw where you were beautiful, but that was like in lowercase and you being brilliant was in uppercase. But now that Generation Z seems so socially active in a way that really does remind me of back in those days. Yeah. Could you see another teen summit or another show like that coming out because the audience seems primed for it? And would you consider producing it? Cause you know, <laughs> you got the street cred. Let me just go back and say thank you, Blue. That's a huge compliment for me because I always really strive to be about my mind and my brain and what I brought to the table that had nothing to do with looks. And my grandmother was the one that instilled that in me. She always said, um, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone and you better be smart. And so Ooh. I really focused on being smart. And, and uh, I would get discouraged a lot of times entering, especially at the MTV stage, 
where it would just be, it tried to become all about how you look. And yeah, I was like rocking hot clothes and I had a, you know, a little body. Well, no, you were fly. You were fly. You were fly. Yes. But, yeah, but, but it still wasn't all about that. That was like icing on the cake. So thank you for that. That's like the biggest, best compliment for me. Uh, what show did you come to real quick before I answer your question? What, what, um, Talk show episode was it? Do you remember? Honestly, the whole time I was taking notes on what you were wearing and how you were talking to production, like I was, I was being secret squirrel. I was more no, focused on you than the content. On production so much, I was horrible. Did I, did I snap on them in front of you at all? No, you ran up in the audience and like was giving out high fives and trying to keep our energy up because they had messed up. And you look like you were mad and then you pivoted to us instead so that you wouldn't get too mad. And that's when I learned you never show feelings on set. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting uh, episode. I was like, oh, she's spicy. I thought like, oh, she's smart and pretty and spicy. I do think a show like Teen Summit could work right now, but it would have to be obviously heavy social media. Uh, I think internet, I mean, we see what's going on with content. Television is dying, right? And it's being replaced by your phone and all the content you can get on there. So there would have to be some great hybrid um, where you could still access it on television, but you, you have to be able to get it online. That's where everybody is watching everything right now. I think especially since we're going back into lockdowns in a lot of places, including, you know, California where we are, and then all over the country, it's important for people to have meaningful things to watch. That was one of my favorite things about Team Summit. We were meaningful. We brought real conversation. We brought real solutions. We allowed young people to be heard. And I do think there's a place for that because social media is so saturated with, you know, uh, body and, and look heavy content, uh, we need to bring some some real good intellectual conversations back to the table. You know, Lisa Johnson Smith's son is actually doing that. I don't remember the name of his show, but um, if you follow her on Instagram, it'll lead you to him. And he's doing a version of Teen Summit that's a little uh, wider in terms of what else it does, but it's, it's really cool what he's doing. I don't know if they're still taping because of COVID, but I saw a couple of episodes and I liked it. We need you involved, though. I think you would bring the street cred that would bring not the kid, just the kids, but also their their parents to back to the the screens to watch. And I'm a mom now, and their parents were watching when I wasn't a parent, and now we all parents talking about, oh my god, we need to bring women's back to the conversation. No, I don't beat my child yet. Let me go back to the question I had asked really quick because I love the love fest, but why aren't you running for office? <laughs> because now Pamela is in the White House, but I mean the way. I've always, you know, I've always looked at people who are journalists or talk show hosts as people who are going to move conversations, move agendas, not just conversation online, but conversations in the world. And so do, have you ever thought about doing politics or, you know, being somebody that can run for office? Uh, back before they were really big in supporting the legalization of marijuana, I was really a proponent of that because I, I recognize and value the medicinal and uh, benefits to our body that it has on all kinds of levels, you know, right. receptors that match cannabis. And so it's, it should be illegal. And I thought at the time, no, it's not, but to keep it from us, we should have access to that. That's, we've been given that as medicine. So before that all changed, I was thinking of that, you know, now I think with all the health stuff I'm dealing with, I probably will be um, going forward a huge advocate for uh, a much more sane alternative way for women, especially our women who tend to die from breast cancer at far higher rates than anybody else to be able to access with the support of the um, insurance companies because they are not helping me at all right now. And I know they're not helping other women because I'm in touch with them too. Um, there needs to be more proactive 
ability for women to take for their own health on their own behalf that's supported by the companies that we pay all year long to support our health. It's ridiculous. And I'm witnessing it firsthand. So for me, the, the issues that I tend to get passionate about, like everybody else, are the ones that I experience myself kind of firsthand. And maybe, I don't know if that's uh, running for office or petitioning Congress. Like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really looked into all that yet, but I certainly feel like this is um, one of the categories I'm going to be very vocal in and uh, very strong in promoting and supporting. And, you know, I plan to pay for women's services when I'm done with my whole thing, uh, because that's one of the things that's missing. We talk about the disparities in healthcare as being racial. And what I've witnessed is they're really financial. And because they don't care what color you are, if you if you money, you green. Like that's everybody's race. We can all hear that, right? And you can access what you need as long as you have the finances. And that is the only thing standing between women who are like me uh, getting the services that I'm getting right now and having access to the protocols and the treatments that I have right now that are turning this kind of breast cancer situation around in this body, they should have access to that too. And because all it is is money, that can be solved. I don't know that that means I'm running for office, but I'm, I'm certainly going to be running for the health and well-being of other women in this position. Well, the reason why I ask is because friend to the show, Congresswoman Karen Bass, who's been a great help to us uh, in, our, in other things outside the show and has been on the show a couple of times, she... Uh, will probably become you know, replace Kamala's seat in the state Senate, which opens up, you know, a seat in the Congress and maybe put y'all together. Y'all figure it out. We help run the campaign. I love this. I love this so much. But, but let's go back to what we were talking about before, because I don't know if I can run for any office. I do have dirt and they don't take it up. So Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll help you cover it up. We'll help, we'll help you cover that. We all got some dirt, but no, listen, for those that are catching the conversation now, you know, what made me reach out to you, Ananda, was you had posted on your Instagram a video that was really, really emotional. I'm going to play that video really quick for the people watching the show and listening. So take a look. I need to share something with you today that I'm not thrilled about sharing. First, I want to apologize to the family and friends who are going to be hearing this for the first time with everybody. Um, and who were gonna feel like I should have had the conversation with them directly. I can explain to you later why I didn't, but from the beginning of all this, I have been really shielding myself from any unnecessary stress, and in fact, removing a lot of stress from my life. And that phrase, don't talk about it, be about it, that's been my life for um, almost two years. And honestly, there's nothing any of you um, could have done. So I apologize if you feel like I excluded you. Um, it wasn't personal. It was really just about what I needed. I am sharing this with you today because it's the beginning of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I have been fighting to get cancer out of my body for almost two years. For a really long time, I have refused mammograms. And that was a mistake. I watched my mom get mammogrammed for 30 years almost. And at the end of that, she had breast cancer. And I said, huh, radiation exposure for years, breast cancer. Yeah, I'm gonna pass, thanks anyway. I am stubborn, I'm gonna admit that up front. Those of you who know me know that's true. And I stand by that thinking. I stand by the research that shows that an accumulation of radiation in your body can cause cancer. And here comes the but. But what I didn't understand and what I need you to understand, the reason I'm here telling you my business is because I would have had probably three or four mammograms by the time they caught it. Instead, I've had to have two PET scans so far. Guess how many mammograms worth of radiation a PET scan is? Anyone? 30. 
30. So 60 mammograms, you do the math. If I had done the mammograms from the time they were recommended when I turned 40, they would have caught the tumor in my breast years before I caught it through my own breast exam, self-exam and thermography. And they would have caught it at a place where it was more manageable, where the treatment of it would have been a little easier. It's never easy, but I use that word in comparison to what I'm going through now. Instead, what I'm dealing with is stage three breast cancer that is in my lymphs. I need you to get your mammograms. I have been doing 100% alternative and natural protocols and treatments, and I have helped uh, this particular condition not spread like wildfire through my body. That's good news, but it's not gone. And I still have a lot of work to do. And I wish I could go back. <clears throat> I have a nine-year-old I need to be here for. I have no intention on leaving him. I don't want to leave any of my kids. I don't want to leave my friends, my family. Hell, I don't want to leave myself. I like being here. So listen, this is not <clears throat> how this was supposed to go, but I'm just going to keep it real with you like I always do. I need you to share this with the women in your life who may be as stubborn as I was about mammograms. And I need you to tell them that they have to do it. Early detection, especially for breast cancer, changes your outcome. It can save their life. This is way harder than I thought. <laughs> I see why people keep it private. <sighs> For me, it was important to come to you and admit where I went wrong with this um, because it could help you or someone you know. This is an ongoing journey for me, one that has been filled with whoo, so many things, different diets, different protocols, different energetic work to everything. I've done everything. I've done everything. I don't know how I'm going to share it with you yet, but I'm so relieved, you know, honestly, because now at least I can share with you some of this journey. I don't have to feel so muzzled. For me, alternative is still the best way. I stand by that. I believe in the power of my body. I believe in the intelligence of my body. I believe in my power and I believe in the power of my God. And all of that is going to help me. I believe it. I own it. It is real for me. And that's all that matters. Well, there's a couple other things that matter too, but you know what I'm saying? Like for the most part, that's what matters. And this will not steal my joy. That's one other thing I need you to really understand. I don't care what's going on in the world. And we are living in a crazy freaking world right now. It's a shit show for real. And none of it takes your power unless you give it away. Remember that you are always in control of how you feel, no matter what the environment and the circumstances seem to be doing in your life and in the world. Don't give that power away. It is everything. So can you be happy and be fighting to get cancer out of your body? Absolutely. It is your choice and it is your right as it is mine. In hindsight, grind, listen, 
I'm not even going to talk about hindsight. Hindsight is going to make me lose my daggone mind. Let's talk about right now. Right now, you have the opportunity to make a different choice. Call your doctor. Call whoever the hell you need to call to get your mammogram scheduled and then show up for it and then do it. Because the consequences of not doing it, you don't want. Please trust me on that. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you heard me. Oh, and lastly, please don't be sorry for me. Don't be sorry this happened. Listen, one out of two women and one out of three men will experience some kind of cancer in their lifetime. This is not the journey for sorry. This is the journey for empowerment and love and high intention and good energy. So if you're going to send me anything, only send me that from that list. You can pick anything on the, you know, all that stuff I just said. That's that stuff. I love you guys. Please help me spread the word. Get your mammograms. Take care of your girl. Okay, so when I saw that video and that you were very um, vulnerable and sharing, um, you know, your diagnosis with uh, stage three breast cancer, what, what courage did it take for you to be able to get there and be so personal and so open to the public? Um, I mean, I think from the outside looking in, it seems courageous, but from the inside doing it, it, it felt like who I've always been. I mean, Blue, you, you guys know from watching me for so many years, I've never really bitten my tongue. I've never really never. been, I mean, I, I'm a private person. I've never talked about like my relationships and my business, but when I'm talking about something that I will share, I'm honest about it. I'm, I'm open. And uh, so it was, it was the logical next step for me as someone who I know, especially young brown women and men look at um, and have listened to over the years. It was a ne next logical step in sharing especially the mistake that I made in not getting mammograms because that's helpful to so many people. If I had someone like me say that to me, however many years ago when it would have mattered before the tumor got so big, I, it, it might've made a difference. And, and that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking, listen, I can't be living this and going through all this stuff I'm going through and not try to help another woman who could be helped by this information. I felt like I use this analogy a lot, but I felt like I was on a path and there were a bunch of tacks and I stepped on a bunch of them and like jacked my foot up, right? And there are these young women behind me and men, men get breast cancer too, but there's people behind me, my people behind me, and I don't want them to do that. So I, you know, it was just logical. It was rational and sane and like, duh, of course. And I couldn't have done it the year before just because of where my life was. And I knew that there could be, you know, a lot to deal with after sharing such a private thing with the public, but I was ready to do it this year and it felt like the right time. Uh, and, and I'm so glad I did because the, there's been just an enormous outpouring of not just love and support for me. That's a great side effect, but not at all why I did it. But the reason I did it, the women taking action who have gone to get their mammograms, who have said to me on you know social media, mainly, uh, I wasn't going to do this until I heard you say what you said. And that was the point. That's why it got put on my heart to do. Um, you know, I, the, we just lost another brilliant young actress. Um, Y'all know her name from Bats. Oh, yes, yes. I don't know her name, but I know who you're talking about. Nicole, anyway, you know who I'm talking about. And um, she died of colon cancer. And, you know, I mean, losing so many people, Chadwick Boseman, cancer is taking a lot of us out. And I feel like we have to start talking about what we're going through, not just this perfect life that we like to portray, that we lead on social media and the pressure to be ideal. It's like, no, real life is messing up and getting up. 
right? Real life is messing up and telling people you don't have to make the same mistake. You're going to make different mistakes, but don't, you don't have to make the one I made. Go take care of yourself. Like I was super stubborn about it. And I regret that decision. I regret the years of that decision. It wasn't just one time I said no. I said no every single time I went to go to my OBGYN and they were like, you need to get a mammogram. And I was like, bite me. You know, I mean, every but, but why, single time. Why, why no. did you say no? Was it that you were just too busy or it was an annoyance in your schedule? What, what was it? Why did you say no? Um, for the first couple of years, I said no, because I went through my mom's cancer diagnosis and all of her conventional treatment with her 13, 14 years ago now. And I watched her get mammograms every single year. She did it for 30 years and she still got breast cancer. And I know, and I hold, you know, I stand behind the information and the, the stats that tell you that you can develop some kind of cancers from radiation exposure. Now, are those statistics specifically about mammograms? It doesn't matter because all I was hearing was radiation equals cancer. My mom had the radiation. She got the cancer, right? I was drawing my own conclusions. And they weren't all incorrect, but they were counterproductive for my health because what I didn't understand was getting that little bit of radiation was going to help me have better uh, outcomes if I ever did develop cancer, which I ended up developing breast cancer. So they would have caught my tumor earlier and I didn't understand the risk versus the reward. And I needed other women to understand because I know that there are women who think like me. I have women in my life that think like me. I needed them to understand that. Like, listen, sis, we that's the wrong way. <laughs> that's The thinking is correct. The outcome is not. And the decision-making is not. There are things you can do to get that, those small levels of radiation out of your body. I wasn't aware of those things. But mainly my decision to say no came from my mom's experience and drawing those conclusions. And then when I did finally feel a tumor, have discharge in my nipple, TMI, I know, but we got to talk about it. Um, I did not go because I lost my insurance for that little window of time. I lost my insurance for about a year over some old other stuff going on in my life. And I couldn't go. And so I think that's part of where my passion to really raise money to pay for what women need in this category comes from, because there are women who can't get mammograms because they can't afford it. And because their insurance won't cover it before 40, because they don't think it's necessary. Or, you know, there's so many different reasons. But the bottom line is we should have somewhere women can say, hey, I need to get a mammogram and I can't pay for it and nobody's helping me. And we can pick up and say, cool, give me the number to where you want to go. I'm about to call them now and pay for it. That's how it should go. That's how it should go from our insurance companies. But if they're not going to do what they're supposed to do and what they need to do ethically, we have to do it for ourselves, as with all things. Mm. I love that you have such an empowered approach to all of this. Um, but there's something that you said that stuck out to me. You said that you were being stubborn. We get breast cancer at the same rates, but black women are 40% higher probability of mortality, right? right? I know some of that comes from racial disparity. I know some of that comes from a financial disparity. Yeah. But I can't help but feel like some of it also comes from the strong black woman narrative. Like the whole black girl magic thing, there's an ugly side to it where we forget that we're still human, even though we're magical. And so listening to you is kind of scary for me because I'm going to be honest, I probably wouldn't have gotten a mammogram um, until I did this interview with you. But I'm a smart woman, you know what I mean? And that's weird to me that I can be smart but still do something so silly and so stupid. And so I guess my question is for all the smart, stubborn women out there, how do I advocate for myself in a space where my doctor's not going to push me as much as a white woman? Honestly, in the same way you do in every other category of your life. That strength, you're absolutely correct, can become a weakness because of how other people perceive us as a result of it. But we got to remember it's still a strength and we got to use it 
on our own behalf, like we use it on behalf of our children. I had to think of it like if I was my son and this was happening to him, what would I do? And treat myself like I would treat him. Sometimes we get real, like you said, caught up in taking care of our kids, taking care of our family. Like I took care of my grandma the last few years of her life. She absolutely earned it and deserved that for me. But I let myself suffer those two years. Like I was a back, I was on the back burner because she, I needed to take care of her. That was a priority. Same thing happened when I became a mom. I devoted full time and attention to my son. He's an amazing little boy because of it, but I was on the back burner. And part of the reason that the, the tumor, um, that I initially found on my own and then got a thermography to really figure out went as far as it did was because I really wasn't tripping. I was like, yeah, it's a little lump that'll go away. It's probably left over from breastfeeding for so long. I like diminished it and I didn't take myself as seriously as I would take my own child. So I would say, let's put ourselves on the pedestal we put other people on. We take such Amen. good care of other people, but if we're not here, we can't take care of anybody. And that stark realization of our mortality you know, I guess we should always be thinking of it because every, all of us are going to die. Everybody's going to die. That's, you know, the only end to this story of life, right? But while we're here, we have absolute power and authority over what happens to us. And it might not feel like that all the time, but it's always true. And when it comes to your health, arm yourself with information. And there's so much information online. You talk about social media and phones and technology. Everything you need to know is at your fingertips right now. There's no excuse to not have information. If there's something you want to know, you put it in the freaking search and you find it out. All the information might not be good. You've got to take a little time and sort through the nonsense and the real stuff. And hopefully people like me can be a resource going on, you know, further down the road in terms of what I've experienced, what I know to be true for myself and what I've experienced in this realm of breast cancer and treatments on both sides of the fence now. But there are so many good resources and so much good information. There's just no excuse to not know going into these meetings with your doctors, going into these meetings with whoever you're meeting with, know what you want and then demand it as if you are, you are your child. I would never let somebody get away with harming my child and doing him wrong and, and not caring for him in the way that I think he needs to be cared. Why should I you know, accept that for myself? It's a great way to put it. It's a great way. When you talk about Chadwick Boseman, and we know we just lost Alex Trebek and then also the actress from BAPS, and with your own diagnosis and now mortality being real, do you think about death? Yeah, but I thought about death a lot before this. I think when you have children, you know, eventually, if, you know, if all things go in the natural order of things, they're going to outlive you and you're going to die before them. So I thought for a while about uh, having a, a trust for my child set up, of having, you know, insurance and all that stuff. I, I act on a lot of that, but I, I certainly thought of it. Um, and I, I think this has absolutely made it more um it's been a hell of a reminder, right? Like, oh, these bodies are frail. We're these divine spirits that get to descend down into physical form and use these machines that we call human bodies for about this long. And then we are out again. And remember that the time you have in the body is the most significant, most important thing to focus on. And I want to extend that for as long as I can. I'm also realistic. I know it's going to end. I don't plan on letting it end like this. I plan on having full control over, you know, the scale of and the I look at it like a little equalizer, like I'm in the studio, like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to play with this and I'm going to, you know, make it happen like I want it to happen. I think we can do that. I see myself doing it every day. So that is true. But, yeah, it's also true that, that I'm going to die one day. And I think there's great things that come after this life, I believe. Uh, in, a, in a lot of things uh, that happened down the road that are brilliant and beautiful. And there's evidence of life after death to me uh, all yeah. around me. 
That doesn't mean I'm, I want to go there anytime soon. I want you to wait, you know, but you know, it's going to be what it is. I'm going to do my best while I'm here though. I know that much. But are you, because I, I've always had this weird thing with death, even from being, even from my childhood, being in foster care and just not mm. knowing like the future of the world and where I would be in it. Do you, are you afraid of it? Are you, um, where are you at with it, with mortality? I'm not afraid of it. And that's probably an experience we could talk about again, but I had, I had an experience with it myself in 99 at the height of my popularity, right? That I've never talked about. I probably won't right now, but so I had an experience with it myself. And um, <clears throat> I think coming out of that experience, I recognized that I, I'm here to do things that I haven't done. I've kind of been piddling around, having a lot of fun, doing, you know, doing great work, but, but really not taking myself as seriously as I should and not going for the things at the time. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to have a family. Like I had all these goals that I wasn't going after because I was so focused on my career. And I, I, it, it changed some things. But I was, I'm never, no, I think fear is just not where I come from on anything. I, fearing the inevitable just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, for what? You know, I'm either going to prepare for it or think on it. Um, but I've lost a lot of people I care about too. And, and continuing to be able to feel them, even though they're not in these bodies anymore, is just another reminder to me that energy goes on. We are energetic beings and we don't end just because we leave this body. Uh, so I'm not afraid of it. I, I think how is more fearful invoking or fear invoking for me. Like, I don't want to burn up. I don't want to drown. Like the scary stuff about how you might get out this body is like, makes my mind go crazy. Like, please, you know, I want something fast. <laughs> but I think if there is any silver lining to something like a cancer diagnosis or any of the other debilitating and chronic diseases that millions of Americans live with and face every day, if there's any benefit, it's that you get a warning. You don't go down quick and fast and never have time to say goodbye. I have an opportunity to wind my life up the way that I want to. And I have no expectation that I'm going anywhere. So don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is even with 20 or 30 or 40 years left on my clock, right, which is what I plan to have, I have the opportunity to be reminded of the fact that this is finite and it's, it's going to end. And how do I want to live with that understanding? You know, I was like every other 20 something year old just wilding out because I'm never going to die. This is, you know, my life's going to go on forever. At the moment in your 20s, you think like that because that's what you think. That's your experience. Your body feels like you're going to last forever. Okay. Then you age and you, you understand differently. You watch people around you die from things that you don't think can kill them. And it, it sobers you up. It wakes you up and you go, oh, shh. Uh, yeah, I better really start doing what I want to do, really start loving people the way I want to love them, really start appreciating and valuing my life and really start leaving whatever legacy I want to leave, which may be no legacy. Because when you think about it, once people die, unless they're huge, like, you know, Michael Jackson, Prince, Whitney, all these huge names that we've lost, when they go, they leave stuff like their music and their art and things that are kind of artifacts of their lives that we get to benefit from and enjoy for however long the artifact lasts, right? But the majority of us, well, we don't have all that much to leave. Like, I want to leave a feeling in people's hearts and their experience with me one-on-one -on -one that lasts because that's usually the only thing that will last. And I know I'll leave a legacy in the heart of my child and the heart of people who know me on a close level. But I also feel like more now than ever, I've, got to, I've gotten to witness 
probably as a result of this health scare, um, the legacy I leave in the hearts of, of other people. And that's been amazing to me. I, I never really got to experience and appreciate that love because I mean, I was doing live TV. I wasn't able to watch TV. We didn't have social media. I wasn't in touch directly with a fan base or, you know, I didn't get to feel that love. And I think it's been 20 years. And so looking back, the love is more intense because the people who I was getting the love from are now older and grown and doing their lives and going, dang, she was really important. Like what you said. So I think there's a a benefit in hindsight that I'm experiencing and benefiting from right now. That's that's just beautiful. It's irreplaceable. I never really thought I would experience it. And um, I'm really Mm. grateful that I am. So when you, when you receive, that was powerful and I love, and Mm -hmm. I just, I've been waiting for this conversation because I, I just, I love how, uh, how in-depth and how vulnerable you are in these conversations, whether it's your own journey or other people's journey. I want to know when, uh, because again, and I'm coming from a place of, I have had issues with death for a long time. Yeah. Um, when you say that, did you lose your parents? Sorry if I'm well, my, my, my No, my mother's passed. Uh, my father's not passed. I think it was just from I wasn't losing them to death, but I was losing them. Right. And so like there was always something happening and then mm-hmm. I was losing them. And then when I got back into their lives, then the people started to die. And it was like, wow, like, you know, it's very, unpre- I, I had a, well, actually when I think about it during 97, when I lost my brother to murder and, and a lot of friends around mm-hmm. me that they were so sudden that it was the unpredictability of it. Like you said, the how, you know, that really yeah. started to fuck with me, you know? Yes. So then I developed my own response, Jason. So what you're having is like a trauma response. Mm -hmm. Like for you, death doesn't get to be a transition. It's always a stunning, shocking, jarring, traumatic thing. And that's probably been hardwired in your brain as a trauma response. That's real. And so so I think for a lot of people watching and watching your strength and your courage and you're just your um, just the life that you're 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 living um, and not being afraid. Like you said, how do you how are you afraid of the the uh, inevitable? Right. Um, How how did you have that conversation with your son? Oh, that was a hard one. I've had all the genetic tests and there is no genetic component. So I don't know how valid that consideration was, but that's what we're told. If your mother had it. You have a higher chance of having it. Da, 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 da. So I think mentally I prepared myself back then when I helped her go through hers. I was trying to give her alternative approaches and I was doing a lot of research. And so when you know my turn came around, um, I, I knew that I was going to go an alternative route and that has evolved, but it's still predominantly an alternative route. And from the time my child was little, I knew I wanted him to have a better understanding of his body and his authority in it and his power over it than I had growing up. I did not have one. I just didn't have the same kind I wanted him to have. So from the time he was little, I was having him use his mind. I believe thoughts are things and that we create with our, with our minds and that we can hear with our minds and do whatever we want with our minds. Everything you see around you was created by someone's thoughts to begin with. So I wanted him to understand that he could heal his body at least a, a lot of the way. Right. And when he would, bump his knee or fall and scrape or whatever, I would have him close his eyes, put his hands on the wound and and just send light to it and cover it with, I had him do gold sparklies. And he's from a very young age, been really in touch with his power in his body. And so, so dope. when I told him, yeah, he's <laughs> so wild. When I told him, he, um, I, I think I said to him, um, I think I was very clear. I, I remember saying I have a tumor in my breast and he said, what is a tumor? And I said, it's an accumulation of cells that won't die. And it's my job from here on and, you know, until I get them to die to get them out of my body. 
And here's how I plan to do that. Um, he listened to me. He knew I was going to start juicing, fasting, be like I had all these plans and all these scientifically uh, study backed up approaches I was taking. And I needed him to be on board with me as a teammate, right? Because I was a stay-at-home mom full-time. I homeschooled. We were together all the time. Like when I say all the time, all the time. I didn't even let anybody babysit my child for the first three years of his life. I wouldn't leave him. So at this time when I got this, I hate to call it a diagnosis because well, that's what it is, diagnosis. He was seven. And he was, you know, a little older. And he understood things better because he's always been a very smart kid. And he took his little hand like he used to do on his body. And he put it on my chest, on my breast. And he sent me healing. He literally closed his eyes and did his little thing that I taught him to do on me. And it was such a moment. And for me, it was really wonderful and beautiful that he didn't go right into fear. Um, I'm so happy I gave him the opportunity to not go right into fear because fear is the most debilitating emotion we have in the human scheme of emotions, right? Very it many is. people in my family and my close circle who I told in the very beginning and then decided not to tell anybody else because of their reactions came from fear. And that fear is just as, you know, uh, infectious as every other emotion. You can make people happy by being happy. You can make them scared by being scared. And I rejected that very early on. So I was really, really um, impressed with his response. I mean, that I'm sure that took a lot of courage. Um, how is he with it now? I mean, is he now like a trooper on the journey with you to recovery? He is. You know, he... Um, I've been away from him for uh, about three and a half months now because I, I came out of California to do some very specialized uh, treatments that I felt like were really necessary for me. I, I was doing really good doing my alternative approach, having my natural protocols, and then COVID happened, and I couldn't get to like my hyperbaric chambers and my vitamin C. I couldn't get all that because everything closed down. During the four months we were locked down that first time in LA, uh, things got worse. My tumor got bigger. I felt weird things in my body. And again, I didn't get scared, but I got even more proactive. I was like, all right, I got to pull out some bigger tools for this stuff. Let me figure out what else I can do. So I wanted to do some immunotherapy. I wanted to do some um, more uh, alternative protocols that weren't available in California because legally our doctors are so, you know, hand, just their hands are so tied when it comes to an integrative approach. So the hardest part of this whole thing for me has not been cancer. It's been leaving my child for three months because that has mm. never happened. And in my whole time of life with him, I never imagined that I would be away from him longer than like a weekend with his dad. You know, it's like yeah. unbelievable what you have to do when you wait to do something. And it, it taught me a lot. It's like I, I'm paying for in time now what I would have paid for over time had I caught it earlier or taken better care of myself early on. I, I think, you know, there are a lot of different causes of cancer and the, the greater kind of conventional approach to cancer doesn't really look at prevention because they make their money, they make their money off of, uh, of finding it and, and killing it. Right. So right. there's no money in prevention there, you are the person and one of the only people who can do any prevention because it comes from what you eat and the emotional uh, environment you surround yourself with, how you treat your body, how you deal with toxic chemicals that we're exposed to every day, the kind of stuff you carry your food in, like plastics. I mean, I'm learning so much about my responsibility in creating this. And that's not blame. Responsibility is your ability to say, I can do something about this because I had something to do with it being here, right? For me, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't, oh, shame on you, look what you've done. It's, hey, 
I don't have to put my hands in some my, my life in someone else's hands. My life is always in my hands. And there are things that I can do to turn this around. Cancer is a process that the body undertakes because of certain things. And if you can fix those certain things, what I believe and what I'm witnessing is that you can start to reverse that process. That's how the body works. We're living in brilliant machines that are designed to heal themselves. We just have to get out of the way. But because I didn't know all that and do everything I could have done mm-hmm. for years, you know, leading up to 2019 when I was first diagnosed, I've had to take time out to um, give myself the kind of focus and care uh, and and ability to heal that uh, it really requires to get through something uh, like this. My tumor is huge. So it was no longer just, oh, let's just do a little something and this will go away. No, it was a much bigger problem than it needed to be, which is why I'm telling women to practice early detection like I didn't. Mm-hmm. And it's a much bigger problem than I wanted it to be. It doesn't mean it's insurmountable. It's just takes more effort. So my son is being very patient <laughs> because I've been away from him for way longer than I want to. Um, but his father is amazing. He has so stepped up. I don't know how I could be away if I didn't know he was okay. I probably wouldn't have come. You know, I'd have been like, well, uh, you know, we've got to do what we got to do from here then because I'm not leaving him. Except if I knew I was leaving him in good hands. And I just, his dad is so amazing for how he has stepped up and supported me through this, but also uh, in taking care of our son so well. Mm. So what treatment have you done um, since the diagnosis? I mean, I know like, because I, I don't know much about it, but the reason why I reached out to you was, you know, 70% of the women who, uh, 70, 70% of the people who listen to Hollywood Unlocked and that follow me and follow the brand are women. And I know when I asked you to come on the show, the first thing you said is, I hope we're talking about breast cancer awareness. And so <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, what treatment have you received? I mean, did you, because some women have, uh, mastectomies, right? And then some women have radiation or chemo. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to speak, you know, unintelligently about it, but if you can kind of speak to that a little bit through your own experience, uh, that could hopefully, you know, just shed some light for other people who are thinking, you know, forward thinking about it all. Yeah. Um, sure. I, so I was told, uh, in the first three months of, of diagnosis, I went to see an oncologist. I went the standard route, which is what your insurance covers. They say, you can go talk to these people. We'll pay for it. Otherwise, you on your own. I talked to an oncologist, the best in the city. I talked to a breast surgeon who actually was following me through the year that I decided to, to do nothing of their stuff. Um, and the first thing they told me and their, their, uh, only real course of action was going to be what they were, they, uh, do for almost every woman in my situation which is what you've just said. They wanted to do a full mastectomy. They wanted to do uh, about 30, forget the number, a bunch of rounds of chemo. Um, and some radiation that was still on, uh, not all the way on the table because it depended on if the chemo worked or if, you know, what my other options were. So <clears throat> they didn't know if they wanted to do chemo first or surgery first. And we were debating that. But uh, when I sat in that oncologist's office and I asked him what led me here, how did this develop? What have I been doing wrong? How do, how do I need to be eating? He said to me, food has nothing to do with it. And I went, all right, well, you are not my people. I'm about to be <laughs> I knew what I knew. I had done the research. I'd read tons of stuff, books, studies, all on my mother's behalf, right? And then I had other family members who dealt with stuff too. So I was doing research on their behalf. But I, I looked at the stuff. I knew there were other things to do. And for someone in in his position to not even recognize the value um, of food 
in terms of creating and reversing and preventing disease was mind blowing to me. I'd heard that it existed, but I saw it for myself at that moment. And I was like, I, I can't participate in something where we fundamentally disagree on how I get here and I, how I get out of here. You want me completely dependent on what you do and what you do hasn't changed for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And your and your results are, you know, listen, I know people who have benefited fully from chemotherapy and surgery. My mother is one of those people. She's alive and well today. And she attributes to that, attributes it to that. When I look at what I know, her tumor was tiny. It wasn't systemic. It hadn't gone anywhere else. I think they overtreated her. And I think they overtreat a lot of women. But that's not, listen, it can be my opinion, but it's not my concern because people need to do what they're comfortable with for their own bodies. That applies to me as well. And in that moment, I knew that wasn't what I was going to be most comfortable with. I knew it wasn't going to be what I believed in. And what you believe in is 80% of what's going to determine your outcome. If I don't Mm. believe in it, it's not going to help me. It's not going to benefit me. I sat there and imagined myself. I had a vision of myself dead, sitting in this man's office. I was like, this is going to kill me. Not him. He's an amazing doctor. I think the people that work in the field are wonderful people who've devoted their lives to doing their best to help other people. I just think they have information that is limited and that I know for a fact that the laws limit what they can tell you to do, what they can share with you. Even if they believe something else works, they can't tell you about it. Not in California, they can't. Our laws limit that. They'll lose their license. He couldn't tell me what I eat matters. That's not his fault. That's a law's fault. That's the fault of people who call themselves a free nation and a free state, but but handcuff their people from the truth. So I couldn't you know, blame him for that, but I also was not going to subject myself to something that I knew mm-hmm. wasn't the right thing. So what I did was started to do uh, what every <laughs> alternative and naturopathic version of healing cancer says to do, which is cut out the sugar and the meat and the fried foods and all the things that will cause your body to, uh, your body cells to, you know, malfunction, which is really what's happening. These cells are supposed to die and they're refusing to for a variety of reasons. When I looked at the checklist of what I shouldn't be eating, it was exactly what I was eating all the time. You know, it was no mystery. It was like, oh, you put unleaded, you put diesel fuel in an unleaded engine. Ooh, is your engine gonna break? I think it is. Like, duh, when you feed this engine the wrong thing, you're gonna have consequences. Now, why do all of us not have the same consequences? Because our each body is different. One of the things I've learned that I didn't know in the very beginning was about all this testing. So been in, I guess, August, end of July, uh, coming to do this more integrative approach to the treatment, I've been tested. I mean, I don't even know how much testing I had. They pull blood for me every week. But the main testing I had in the beginning was genetic testing on the particular cancer cells that are in this body and what substances will work to kill them, both on the uh, chemotherapy conventional route and an alternative substance route. It gives you a huge list of what you can take that will kill your particular cancer in all the different ways, whether it's preventing it from spreading or killing it outright. There are so many things you can do. I've had two different procedures on my actual tumor in my breast. One was cutting off the cancer supply, uh, the blood supply that it made through through blood vessels. They severed those blood vessels, cauterized them and cut the blood supply off so it could not feed itself in the same way anymore. The other one was putting two needles in at you know, various uh, angles so it could get to the whole tumor and freezing the cancer cells. It's cryoablation. And now some of the bigger cancer centers are starting to catch on and do it, but they've been doing that here for decades. And this stuff works. And it made sense to me. Why would I destroy my immune system? 
Why would I destroy the only system that is designed to kill and handle these cancer cells? No, I'm going to get myself and what I've been doing wrong out of the way and see where I'm at. And then I'm going to try some other things that might help to improve my immune system, make it a little more aware of the cancer cells that are there so we can go attack them. And then I'm going to wait and see how that works. This is a problem that started years ago. I might not have been aware of it until there was a, a palpable uh, tumor, but that tumor took years to grow to the size where I could even feel it. So this has been a process that's been going on and I've been just fine. I wasn't going to go into a panic. I'm fine. Like I have felt fine this whole time. I'm not being ignorant. I know that if I don't do anything about it and it spreads to some organs, that's how you die from a breast tumor, right? It's not the breast tumor that kills you. It's the metastasizing. Got that. But there's plenty of things you can do to prevent the metastasizing. Like if you stop and get out of the fear, which is why I just rebuke fear outright anytime it threatens to try to come. I see it over there and I'd be like, oh, no, hell no. Keep your ass back. You don't have no place here. Don't even get close to me. I challenge it. Like, leave me alone. Because I know that if I let it get up here and then I let it get in here, I'm done. I'm going to be paralyzed. I'm not going to be able to do anything but dwell on the problem. That's not how you get yourself out of a problem. I don't care what the problem is in your life. You don't get out of it by dwelling on it. You get out of it by focusing on the solutions, by finding them and implementing them. And it takes discipline and it might take, you know, a little bit of stubbornness, which we all know I have. That's how I've gotten to the problem a little bit to begin with. But I'm going to use even my worst qualities to benefit me in this process because they can. And there's so many things that can be done. And, and literally, y'all, I'm doing all of them. I have Seven, I, yesterday was my longest day, just to give you an example. I talk a lot, but I'm going to answer your question. I sat in the chair eight and a half hours yesterday and got seven bags of different IVs, including uh, vitamin C. Uh, I don't think I did hydrogen peroxide on the same day as vitamin C. I might have done that today. But uh, something called methylene blue. All of these cancer-killing agents that were proven to kill this cancer based on that testing I told you about a minute ago. And then I got two shots. I got a pro and K shot, which boosts naturally boosts my my killer T cells or killer cells P or K in my in my immune system, so that my immune system can activate and be more aware of and and working against the cancer. Um, and I got uh, apheresis, which is a process of cleaning your blood. It's like dialysis, but for your blood, where they pull. So I have I'll show you my I have this uh, port, and this is where they do. It's an apheresis port. They pull out blood from one and then they put the blood back into the other. I also get all my IVs through here because it was easier than collapsing my veins over doing IVs for 16 weeks. Um, and they clean your blood out. So while they're killing the cancer cells and giving, I'm on certain prescription medications, which I probably never would have taken, but I understand the value of them in this particular process for a short period of time. We had to kill some, some, uh, single cell organisms. I had two protozoa living in my blood. They'd been there for probably 20 years. All these different things, toxins, right, that were compromising and lowering my immune system's ability to do what it's designed to do. So I've had to get those things out of the way while killing the cancer directly, while supporting my immune system and strengthening it so it can fight better all at the same time, because this is a multi-layered problem in terms of how it starts. And for me, a multi-layered solution is the only thing that makes any sense. Hmm. And so for people listening to all of that, I mean, you have to really be strong Ooh. and involved in your own care because a lot of people are trained early on when you go and get immunization as a kid for school, just trust your doctor, trust your doctor. And mm -hmm. like I, the word I want to use is gamble. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's almost like you're gambling on you. You're betting on you to lead your own recovery. Yeah. Uh, are you scared? Are you nervous? With I mean, you're not scared. You said you're not scared, but like no fear, no fear. 
I do feel like, listen, I'm open to whatever opportunities. I believe I'm doing all the right things and I believe that my outcome is going to be exactly what I want. I believe I'm going to be NED, which is the new way to say remission. It's no evidence of disease. I'm almost there based on my scans from last month. I'm really close. I have actually a PET scan in the morning. So we'll know real soon if I'm, if I'm no evidence of disease or not. But what does that mean? That means that I've beat back the cancer as it appeared in my body for this round, right? Does that mean I'm cancer free forever and can go back to drinking like I was drinking and doing all the other stuff I was doing with donuts and pizzas and fries? Like, does it mean I can be uh, irresponsible again? Absolutely not. There are changes you have to make that are permanent changes to your life. These are lifestyle changes. And if you don't take it seriously, you'll be back in the same position you started and I will be back in the same position I started in if I don't take the changes I need to make very seriously. Uh, my body has shown me that it is not one of those bodies that can just take all that stuff and keep it trucking. I had a, I won't say who, because now I'm from my family business, I'm not getting mad, but one of my family members who's passed now could drink all day, smoke all day, two, three packs of sick, like he could do whatever he wanted. He was like Teflon, you know what I'm saying? And some people's bodies are like that. They will suffer in other ways, they'll give out in other ways, but it's not going to be this. For my body, this is something I have to be proactive about and constantly on top of. And if you implement the changes that I'm making now because I'm forced to make them, if you implement them while you're still in a healthy body, you can avoid getting here. You can prevent this mess. You really can. And I plan on, because what I feel like I've done now is rolled my clock back to where I'm kind of in the same position as everybody else. We all have cells that could go cancerous, right? It's a normal function of the body, just used to be rare and now it's more prevalent. But I'm back in the position almost where I'm, I'm got to be preventing. I'm like everybody else again, to a certain extent. I have to prevent this from taking hold of my body again. How do I do that? By being disciplined, by doing the things I'm supposed to do, you know, by not letting bad energy sit around me in my life. By mm -hmm. not letting emotional vampires suck on me. Like there are a lot of things you can do. There are things we take for granted every day that everybody's doing wrong, right? Way too much sugar. Sugar fuels cancer. So I was doing it wrong and now I know how to do it right. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have been able to come get what I consider a second chance at doing it right so that I can extend this life for as long as I'm, you know, possible, for as long as it's possible for me to be here because we see people going, and I don't know what um, Chadwick Boseman did in terms of his treatment. Not my business. I wasn't there. I don't know what he did. I don't know, and I want to say her name, Natalie DeSell Reed. I want to say it correctly, right, and honor her um, as a, a beautiful being that was on the earth. Natalie DeSell Reed. I don't know what she did or didn't do. Uh, I just know that there are things that can be done. And the more information we have, the more information we share, the more of us we can help because we are not helpless. Jason, like you just said, depending on a person in the white coat with all the answers, they don't have all the answers. They're basing their stuff on studies and guesses. Just well, like you, know, you know, you know that, you know, when you think about what practicing medicine means, they're practicing, they're practicing. Like they're, just, <laughs> they're trying to see what it work, you know? If I'm gonna be anybody's guinea pig, it's gonna be my own. Cause I have to live with the consequences of whatever, whatever I choose. What you do to me, I gotta live with. What I do to me, I gotta live with. It's me. So I'm right. gonna I'm gonna bet on me. When you talk about gambling, yeah, I'm taking a gamble, but we're always taking a gamble. You taking a gamble walking outside without a mask on right now with the numbers of COVID, people don't mind that gamble. That'll kill you quicker than cancer. So, you know, yeah, gamble life is a gamble. Whoop. Yeah. I'm crap shooting. Bam. Seven. <laughs> so, what 
message would you want all women to get that you haven't shared yet um, in terms of preventative care or, you know, taking control of their own health and their own life as it relates to breast cancer or cancer or any other illness? Hmm. Let's see. I would say that when you think of eating, because I believe almost all disease starts with what we're putting in our mouths, right? That's what I believe. And if you do your research, you'll believe it too eventually. Uh, when you think of how you eat, what I've come to understand is that we really do need to be eating like our ancestors ate. And it's only been in the last 50 to 100 years with the Industrial Revolution and the ability to have uh, processed foods so available and fast foods so available that our health, especially in this nation, has started to make this huge decline, right? And you look at other nations, like I've read a lot of studies about the women in Japan and how they really don't get breast cancer that much. There are reasons for that. They're eating a lot of seaweed. Um, they're eating a lot of high fiber foods. They're not eating a lot of processed foods. And even the debate on soy only is relevant when you're talking about overly processed soy, because those women eat a lot of soy beans, fermented soy, but those are the versions of soy that are good for you. So I would say if it doesn't grow out of the ground, the way you put it in your mouth, you probably shouldn't be eating that much of it. And when you think about how much you would have to eat of like, let's say a sugar cane, even if you choose the highest quality organic cane sugar, right? How many sugar canes do you need to eat to get the amount of sugar you're getting in your food? You would have to eat like 28 stalks of sugar cane. You would never do that because to sit there and do that, you would feel how crazy that is. But we are lulled into this uh, brainwashing, this weird like, oh, it's not as harmful. Or, oh, it doesn't matter. Read the labels. If it's in a package, you probably shouldn't be eating it. But if you want to eat it, just read the label. Just see what you're putting in your body. If you can't pronounce it, it probably doesn't belong going in your mouth and through your system. 80% of your immune system is in your gut. So when you think about that and you think about how you're eating, just take a look. Do you get sick a lot? Do you have a lot of upset stomach? Do you get a lot of colds? Do you get 80% of your immune system is in your gut. And we don't have a lot of control over, you know, what the toxins are in our environment or all the other things. I am a carpenter. I got my degree in 2010. I was exposed to a lot of toxins in my field, uh, willingly and joyfully, because I loved doing it. I knew I was being exposed to toxins. I just didn't know what they would do to me, right? But so there are a lot of ways we come in contact with toxins. The one thing we have absolute control over is this. So if you can't pronounce it, just stop eating it mm. and cut down on the sugar. because. Until you have a problem, you might not take it seriously. But if you can be smart enough to take it seriously before you have to, you, that's going to go a long way for you. Amen. Well, I hope that I hope that you're journaling everything and keeping uh, keeping records <laughs> of all this because I I feel a book a book can come out of this. Uh, so, are you would you write a book to help other people? Um, I would write a book on this. Absolutely, yes. And I have been more than journaling. I've been, well, you know, I'm TV, so I've been videotaping everything. I have my biopsy on tape. I have my, um, I have the doctor giving me the news of what she found on tape. I have been videoing everything. And for me, I started doing that because I didn't want to forget it. I never want to walk through this again. This has been the most grueling experience of my life and the most beautiful in some ways, but it's been hard as hell. And I don't want to go through this again, but I knew I wouldn't remember it if I didn't get it on tape. And I wanted to, at some point, be able to share it. I didn't know how it was going to come out. You know, I still don't know how it's going to come out, but I think we're doing okay. Uh, I didn't know how it was going to come out in the beginning, but I knew that there weren't enough of women who looked like me having this experience. And I think it's important for us to see a wider variety of what is possible in terms of how we heal our bodies. 
And so my plan is, honestly, to figure out some way to present that. Um, it's not going to be like a documentary, but pieces, like episodes uh, in, in kind of walking through the journey to really show everything. And I mean, I, I third degree burned my breasts trying to make my own salve. It's, it, I've been, I've been I'd put myself through a lot. I probably was way harder on myself than any doctor ever could have been. Because I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. What do I got to lose? You know, the worst that's going to happen is like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die anyway. So let's try everything that we can try. Let's try everything we have access to. And I did. And what I'd like to do is present that maybe on like a subscription basis to raise money to help these other women who don't have the access that I've had, who need the, the thing like the infrared sauna I do every night. That detox is vital in me getting out these toxins and getting out the dead cancer cells as we kill them. Uh, it is vital for them to have the, the 20 books <laughs> that I've read to just get the information. It is vital for them to have the testing that was like almost $12,000 in the beginning that is ongoing. Like every time I do this particular test, it's another like $5,000. Like who can do that? I know I'm in a very gifted and blessed situation to have access to that, but you should have access to that because you need it, right? You shouldn't have to have uh, the stuff I had to be able to get it. So again, I would love to have a fund to help the women, especially the 10 to 15 women I'm directly in contact with now that have come into my life after I've shared what I'm going through. Um, I would love to send them all these saunas. I would love to send them all these books. I would love to get them all this testing because I really believe it's turned it around and is saving my life. Mm -hmm. And we should not be uh, kept from things that are helpful to us in these dramatic, I mean, I've never seen anything like what I'm experiencing. I feel like I'm in Star Trek half the time and I would never be experiencing this if I didn't have the money to do it. And that's pathetic. To live in the greatest nation in the world and not be able to access things equally is pathetic. And we can fix that. Well, listen, I know for sure uh, Blue is one woman in the show. And I know there's many women watching that are going to definitely uh, think twice about not getting their mammograms or other checkups. I, I did want to say before we got out of here, you know who you look like? I'm just looking at you and I'm like, she looked like. Well, right. Okay. You look, like, you look like a younger Don Robinson from um, In Vogue. Oh, I haven't heard that one. She's gorgeous. Thank you. Okay. Who's and up? you and you look like Solange. Really? I've definitely never heard that one. She's gorgeous. No. A little bit. No, no, it's no. just me. I get a young Irene Kara, which I'm probably the same age Irene was back then, but um I get a young Irene Kara. Obviously, I get chili and I get Tatiana Aldi. I, I ate for free off of uh claiming that or going along with somebody who thought I was Tatiana in college. I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I never told okay, you. I give you, you Tatiana. Okay, and Chili. Okay, well, shit. Yeah. Uh, well, I just want to say uh, thank you for sharing your story here, and uh, I hope to meet you one day, maybe lunch or something. Whenever you're back, I don't know. I would love to meet you. Yeah, in person. Because we could talk and, about the off camera stuff in person. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, I got a list. You know, we can talk about that over lunch. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm going to need uh, some I, for that. I don't know when I can do that. Listen, I, I, I pray tomorrow that your, um, your, your, you know, your appointment goes well and that you continue to get good news and that you find your uh, way all the way on the other side of this. Thank you so much. Blue Damage, it was awesome to meet you, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on your platform. And thank you much for your you do. I appreciate it so much. You're helping me spread the word and save lives. And I'm so grateful. Anytime. Anytime you want to come back and keep us updated, like we're here, just let me know. Okay, I'll do that. You, I'm, you're going to take me up on that and be like, well, she get off the show, please? 
<laughs> no, I, I do. I do feel like you know when you know when you're in an interview and you feel like somebody's going to get something from it. People are going to get a lot from this conversation. So I thank you for sharing it. I'm happy to hear that. That's that's what I'm here for now. So thank you guys. All right, talk to you soon. All right, everybody, peace. Bye. All right, look, that was a great show. And make sure you keep coming back because we got all types of amazing interviews and topics that are going to make you go crazy. Uh-huh, that's right. That means like, subscribe, do everything you need to do to make sure you stay up to date with what we got going on. And ladies, stay tuned in because you know I have your back. And listen, make sure that you're commenting below because even though I say I don't read it on the show, that's all I do when it's over. Peace. Mm-hmm.